I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snow White. Producer Jason, thank you for that awesome introduction. My name is Rob Snow White, and I first met Shane Gullickson on the Salmon River of New York in November of 2013. He was being guided by a friend of mine, and he was the youngest of three brothers. And while we spent the evening hanging out, having a couple of beers, tying flies for the next day, Shane spent the snowy evening running circles around the lodge buildings in his tidy whities the kid had a knack for swinging flies and immediately he was on a steelhead. Joe had to hold on to Shane so the first steelhead wouldn't pull him in. That's how tiny he was back then. We all bumped into each other again. We've been friends on Facebook. In fact, I'm friends with his whole family on Facebook for years now. And last Christmas, I was walking into the hole where we had previously fished in about 10 years prior and I saw some bright red hair sticking out from underneath the hat and I knew it had to be Shane. I walked down, we chatted for a bit, and once he told me he gets paid to snorkel with salmon and steelhead, I said, say no more, save it for the podcast. Now, nearly a year later, we finally get to sit down and record his stories. This kid is smart beyond his years, you're going to learn a lot from him. I look forward to our next conversation and our next fishing trip. This podcast is brought to you by Solo Stove. You can help support this small business by going to the Solo Stove link on my website for when you are in the market for a new fire pit, camp stove, or tabletop s'mores maker. That's called Mesa. Solo Stove makes the most technologically advanced fire pits and camp stoves on the market. They run off of garbage and wood. They're virtually smokeless, and as you will hear from this podcast, you are not going to find a better tasting hot dog than the one you're going to cook over the coals of a solo stove. Please visit robsnowwhite.com for more information on solo stove and share the link with your friends. Every purchase you make helps support me and this podcast. We're going to go to Idaho now. We're going to go learn all about Shane's wildlife. What's going on? How we doing, Rob? Man, you look all official right now. <laughs> yeah, I got to go into 
to work after this when we're walking around the office. All right. Well, we'll, we'll jump right in because you're going to have to go. All right, Shane, where are you right now? It doesn't look like you have a green screen. There's actually a map behind you. Yeah. So currently I am in the fish and game office in Lewiston, Idaho. So kind of up near, well, I can't really see on the map, up near the border of Washington. So I was uh, living in Boise for most of the summer working for fish and game. And then that, that sort of job ended. So now I'm up in Lewiston for the next month working up here. Currently I'm in a conference room called the pheasant room. Hence there's a That's bunch a nice of pheasant. pheasants on the wall. Uh are there fly tires there? Because no one seems to have gotten to those nice tails, or they're just yeah. all pheasants in general. They haven't, been, they haven't been plucked clean quite yet. Send them to me. I know. Whoa! So, yeah, that's where I am right now. That forearm again. Oh yeah, so I got a brook trout, a brown trout, and then a rainbow trout. Yeah, I'm sorry for all you people that are listening. You didn't get to see that. Yeah, so that I just finished this sleeve up uh, just before last summer, actually. Yeah, I definitely did not see that bundled up at Christmas time on the Salmon River. No, no, there was no skin exposed out there. That was a, a cold day. So uh, is there a celebrity that people ever think you look like? So people that are listening at home can picture somebody with fish tattoos on their forearm? A celebrity that I look like? You've been stopped in Idaho and someone's like, hey, isn't that? No, I wish. So kind of like the original inspiration, this, not that I look like this person at all. Originally, what I wanted to do was get a sleeve from my elbow to shoulder of like fish scales. But then I watched Aquaman with uh, Jason Momoa and he has that. And I was like, well, dang it. Now, if I do that, I'll just be a poser. Right. No, I've. I've never been compared to a celebrity, unfortunately. Not that, you know, there isn't any good looking ones like myself, but. <laughs> We're just going to have to make you the celebrity now. And then yeah, people exactly. that look like you will be compared to you. Exactly. At some point, we're going to get to how did you get to Idaho? You're from New York. So we, for those not, haven't listened to some of the other episodes, I first met Shane on the Salmon River, like, 10, 12, 15 years ago. Yeah. And then that we bumped into each time. other. I've been friends with your guys and your family on Facebook forever, but we bumped into each other on the Salmon River last year. And uh, you caught me up with everything. I said, this is going to have to be a podcast episode. So how did you get into fishing? Your dad, and, and I take out a lot of dads and kids. He seemed to be the most enthusiastic about hunting and fishing with his kids than most other dads. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, so I've been fishing is you know longer than I can remember. You know, my dad's been taking me out, you know, before I even have memories of it really. You know, I'm sure he had me out there in a little sack strapped to him. But when I met you was really the beginning of my actual fly fishing. So I started fly fishing when I was like nine or ten years old. So by the time I had met you, um, I had been fly fishing for, you know, months, maybe at that. Um, and then, yeah, I remember my dad just being like, hey, we're going to try this, 
this thing. We're going to go to the Salmon River and fish for these steelhead or whatever. And I mean, like you said, you know, I was like 10 years old. I didn't know what the heck that meant. I was like, okay, cool. Fishing trip. Woo. Not expecting that meant waking up at, you know, four in the morning, freezing cold, snow on the ground. But anyway, yeah, just remember, you know, being at that, uh, oh, where did we stay? That um, Trestlepool Lodge. That's right. Yeah. And I remember being in there and you guys showing us, you know, you showing us how to tie. I remember showing us how to tie an intruder, um, teaching us how to tie flies and stuff that night before. And then we went out and I, I always tell this story to people and it's like the worst, best first fish ever. You know, we've been fishing for maybe 10 minutes. First steelhead I ever hooked in my life. I landed it. It was a 36 inch male, which is awesome. But at the time it was like, oh my God, this is what they all are like. Not realizing, you know, that's kind of a once in a lifetime fish. But after that, I was, uh, you know, completely hooked on fly fishing and especially steelhead. Have you done any real steelheading in Idaho? <sighs> yes. Shame. I was hoping to have a great story for today. I actually just lost one yesterday. So I've been getting into spay fishing out here. I've been fishing on the clear water, swinging for steelhead. About three weeks ago, I hooked my first one, got about two, three head shakes and popped it off. And then yesterday I had my first like really good hookup, fought it all the way in, had it at my, you know, basically at my feet about a rod's length away. And I was fighting it, waiting for it to kind of settle down so i could get it in and tail it it wasn't a super big one it was probably like 23 inches maybe but a nice fish and then it popped off and i was so bummed i was like yes i want to have a fish to finally tell him at the podcast and then and then i lost it so it's been tough out here it's a lot tougher than i let's thought. say somebody is listening to us in in argentina right now and they don't understand how far you are currently from the ocean where that fish came from how far inland are you? Um, What's elevation? So Lewiston, the elevation is actually really low. It's one of the lowest points in the state. So it's about 700 feet, but it climbs up super quick right after Lewiston. Um, by the time they reach here, they've migrated probably, uh, probably about 700 miles. And then the farthest that they'll go almost to the Montana border is a little over a thousand miles. And it's crazy because by the time they read, like we have salmon running right now, steelhead and the cohos are just starting. And, and, you know, the salmon river in New York, you know, by the time the salmon, you know, you're fishing for them, they're already like kind of dying. And that was after what, maybe 20 miles or so like at best. And here, you know, these fish have showed up and they are still chrome and fresh and ready to throw down. Why? Um, you know, after this, I mean, already a long journey and they've got, a lot more to go um so it's been really cool to see that difference of like ocean run fish versus you know the lake run stuff did you get up at four in the morning yesterday yeah i got up at uh i got up at three forty-five. it doesn't get light till 6 30 and it's not as combative here as it is back home but i still want to make sure i got like the spot i wanted and my brain is just so hardwired of get up, get out there. So I got up at like 3.30, got to the spot at like 4. And you just kind of drove your house to the parking lot? Yep, exactly. 
Yep. <laughs> was in my car, just woke up, drove to the parking lot. I kind of just hung out. It got really windy in the morning, so I only fished for like an hour. And then I just called it a quits and just putzed around for the rest of the day. And then I went back out for the afternoon from like four till I think like eight o'clock because it got dark. And uh, that's when I hooked my fish was at about 730 in the final light, right as the sun was setting. I was like, oh, it's going to be a beautiful moment. And then she popped off. But that's the way it goes. And what fly were you using? Uh, green butt skunk. Right on, classic. Yeah, so that's what's been really cool about it too. Like I had this image in my head of like throwing big meaty intruders and like all this other stuff, but at least this time of the year, everybody's swinging really small, you know, classic patterns, sparsely tied, you know, steelhead coachmans, green butt skunks, stuff yeah, like all, that. All this stuff um, based on Catskills wet flies. Yeah, exactly. Which is so cool to like bring that stuff out here and just be like, wow, this is all based off stuff from from home yeah which so, has been super cool speaking of home like what was the process of going from salmon river and, and fishing east to you ending up out west how did that all happen so so basically i went to school for fisheries i just graduated from cobalt skill with a associates in fisheries and wildlife and a bachelor's in fisheries and aquaculture and where's so, that school located? Uh, so it's in Cobleskill, New York. It's just about uh, an hour north of Albany. It's sort of near like uh, Oneonta, if people are more familiar with that. It's a little bit of a bigger city, um, but it's about an hour north of Albany. It's right near Pizza, Albany. Good subs. Yeah. Yeah. There's this place called Perones. If you're ever there, that is bomb. Shout out to Perones. I think he's selling it, but it's really good. It's this old Italian dude, and he makes a great sandwich in there. Dude, you get it's like two meals in one. You get this sandwich, and it is just, I mean, it literally looks like a football. It's awesome. There's some um, new $24 hoagie in Washington, D.C. that will feed you for a week. Oh, my God. Yeah. But they in D.C. Yeah, I need to hit that up. All right. So, uh, New York, you studied fish. And then you went so, on like Craigslist or LinkedIn and, and got a job? So it was after my junior year, my junior summer, I just had this image set in my head that I was like, I want to go to Idaho. Um, you know, I feel like everybody watches a river runs through it and wants to go to Montana. And I was like, ah, you know, Montana, great, yes. But I just thought Idaho seemed like a bit more of a, a sleeper state you know it had the same opportunities but less people was you know the image i had in my head and you know i just watched all these videos of idaho steelhead and you know obviously my love for steelhead kind of pushed me in this direction as well as um wanting to hunt for bull trout you know i'd never caught a bull trout and idaho is one of the few states that you can target them illegally so i was like bull trout and steelhead that's all i need let's go so i went on this website it's called texas a and m um the the college has their own job board and basically they post tons of fisheries and wildlife jobs so i always tell this to underclassmen if there's any younger kids listening to this that are looking for jobs or older people looking for jobs they post tons of full-time and seasonal jobs you just go on texas a and m job board and type in fish or whatever you want 
you can section by state or whatever you want. So I looked at only Idaho. You know, I knew that's where I wanted to go. And then I found this snorkeling job popped up and I was like, what the heck is that? That sounds interesting. So I read about it and I was like, man, that sounds freaking kick ass. So basically it was working in the super remote streams off of the Clearwater River, basically looking at spawning grounds of steelhead and salmon, you know, the little tiny rivers of a river that these fish move into do to spawn so i applied i got it paid to go yeah. snorkeling to look at steelhead and seven. yeah uh, exactly awesome dude it was so like sweet 20, so like, 22 years old i'm 23 now yeah oh gosh it was incredible so like last summer we were just you know we drive a truck up off these dirt roads into these super remote areas set up camp for so it's eight days on six days off and then for eight days, we're just hiking, you know, on average, probably about 10 miles a day. Some days are longer than others. You know, I think the longest day we've had was like 24 miles in a day, 23, something like that. And we put on backpacks with our wetsuits and we just hike. We go back into these little creeks and then we snorkel them and we write down how big of fish we saw, how many species Basically, the reason we do what we do is because these streams are so remote. There's no trails going to them. It's all bushwhacking. So there's no really other way to monitor them. You can't carry out a heavy backpack shocker to electrofish them. You can't really do anything else other than snorkeling. It's the easiest way to do it. So and that and then I loved it last summer. And then my boss wanted me to come back out this summer. So I was like, you know, heck, yeah. So came back out again did you ever come across someone in the out fishing or something and they see you in a wetsuit in the woods and they're just like what (laughs) so we we usually don't see people but we've seen a few and usually people are kind of like what the hell are you guys doing and we're like oh we're snorkeling and they're like for what (laughs) snorkeling also i will say is a, a loose term you know most of these creeks are maybe a few feet wide and maybe a foot deep two feet deep sometimes so it's like you're more like dragging across the ground, like with like half a mask in the water looking around. Cause you know, in the springtime when the fish are up there spawning, these rivers are high. But when we get up there in the summer, they're super low and drop down. Would you ever snorkel the salmon river? I don't <laughs> I would, yeah. I mean, I, you'd probably just like float downstream. I imagine I pretty cool. the monofilament and the hooks in there would be quite dangerous. Yeah, I think you'd be going through an obstacle course to to get through it, but you might find some good river booty. What are speaking of river booty? Like, what things have you come across underwater in Idaho that that somebody on land would never think of or encounter? I mean, it's you know, gear wise, a lot of the places we go are pretty remote, so there's not too much. Some big spinners, some big treble hooks, but like just being underwater and looking at these fish, it's incredible to see where fish sit that you would be like, you know, from up above, you're like, there's no way there's a fish in there. You know, you look at this little tiny riffle that's six, eight inches deep, and you're like, you know, as a fisherman, you'd be like, damn, maybe skip that, whatever. That looks shallow. But when you get in there, the the amount of life that's churning around in there is, is honestly incredible. So many bugs. I mean, granted, most of these fish are, you know, six to eight inches. So if you're a small stream angler and that's kind of like your jam, 
these fish are really cool. You know, fish those little tiny pockets and the little, you know, if you see a riffle and there's just one kind of rock sticking out, like it's worth fishing it because that's where we see most of our fish is because in the summertime, it's hot outside. You know, these fish are looking for the coldest or most oxygenated water. So those riffles constantly tumbling and churning up create a lot of oxygen. So you'll have a lot of fish sitting in those tiny little riffles. Um, see a lot of salamanders too. They There's this one salamander out here called an Idaho giant salamander. They're really cool. They get like probably like eight inches or so. They're sweet. But yeah, I haven't seen too many like crazy things underwater just because like i said i mean other than like seeing bull trout or like an adult salmon you know you come around and look under a log jam and there's a salmon just like looking at you you're like oh my god wow and so are that'll scare you. you like you see them are they just like i'm just flip i'm the boss of this water dude it's it's incredible how little of a shit these fish give when you're in there like these cutthroat especially the cutthroat and like, if you happen to see a brook trout, which we hope not to see, they're just like, they'll just swim right up and look you right in the face, like six inches away from you. Like, like, what the hell are you? What are you? What are you doing here? And then they just kind of swim off. It's like, they don't even care, which is really cool to see them when they just, they don't care that you're there. You know, you're just watching them swimming, feeding up and down, grabbing food and stuff. And the amount of like leaves and stuff that those fish just bite and spit out is incredible. It makes me start wanting to just use like a leaf as a fly. Like any little thing that floats by, a fish just sucks it up and then like spits babies. it out. Yeah, yeah, they put everything in their mouth. So has that changed your fly presentation, tying materials? When I got an aquarium and saw how mayfly nymphs move in the water like that, they can't see my hand right now. Yeah. I was astonished. I was like, all I need is a little piece of marabou tied to a hook. And it'll just do that in the water. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely, I haven't been tying flies much, shamefully, this summer, just because, you know, not really having the space to do it in my car. What What's your but, house? What model house do you have? It's a 2016 Subaru Impreza. Yeah, so I guess for everyone, right now I'm living out of my car for the past two summers. I've got a bed built into it that kind of converts so I can still use my passenger seat. It folds up and down. It's pretty comfortable. I mean, it, it, it's super cramped up being in a Subaru. It's functional. But the snorkeling hasn't, so like I said, it hasn't necessarily affected how I tied because it will probably. I haven't tied a ton of flies, like I said, but it's definitely affected how I fish. You know, some of our surveys we do, they're called recite surveys. So basically we go and fish through an area first and as we catch fish, we'll mark them basically doing a little clip on their tail fin, like a little notch so you can see it. Um, it doesn't affect the fish. It'll grow back, you know, in a period of time. It's basically the least intrusive mark on fish. And then we'll snorkel through and see how many marked fish we see versus unmarked. And then that helps us determine on average what percentage of fish are we seeing? And right now it come, it turns out we see about 33% of the fish when we snorkel through an area, which is helpful because they can take that and say, okay, if you saw this many fish, that was 33% extrapolated out. That's how many are there. But anyway, that kind of got a little off track. So it definitely affected how I fish though. Like I said, knowing all these different pockets that fish sit in, 
and just seeing how they interact with their environment um, has certainly affected like where I fish when I fish these small creeks and like I would say triple tenfolded my numbers of fish that I catch because now it's like I understand them not only above as an angler but like underwater as like a researcher so it's really um you know helped me at least in the small streams helped me catch a lot more fish the spot even steelheading have you snorkeled through there and do you snorkel places now that are not work related now that you've um, got the skills and what to do i have i haven't snorkeled here i've snorkeled in some other big rivers generally like more during the summer when i was like trying to find bull trout i would snorkel through like the big deep holes and be like okay there's a bunch in there now let's try to well usually i'd fish it and like if i didn't catch anything then i'd be like all right well let's see because you know that's the one question as an angler at least to myself i always ask after you fish through a run you're like how many fish did i just fish over that didn't bite you know if, especially if you don't catch anything you're like there had to be something there how many fish did i just completely go over so now i've been able to answer that question and usually it's a lot unfortunately that's heartbreaking like it is heartbreaking. on the salmon river i fished from nine in the morning and i didn't hook a fish until 2 45 in the afternoon yeah exactly and i was convinced there was nothing there and they were probably stacked up like cordwood yeah it's it is uh it is disheartening but it is also like you know then you know you got to adjust something presentation fly whatever it might be but yeah, I would say nine times out of 10, if you fish through an area, there was fish there, you know, but, you know, they certainly get locked up sometimes, you know, in the Salmon River, especially like, you know, there's fresh fish pushing through. They just, they get that locked jaw and one thing on their mind of like, let's just move. So that can be tough, but yeah, it's definitely, I haven't snorkeled this river. It's pretty big and pretty cold right now, especially with temperatures starting to drop. But I, I think I would be disheartened if I snorkeled through and saw how many steelhead are probably in a run at a given time. <laughs> Have you noticed that like a hierarchy, social hierarchy dominance of fish where the, the big ones like got the primary feeding lane and the dinks are all behind it? Yeah, so typically like, you know, this was always something that I kind of, I feel like I've seen in videos and people always say like, yeah, this is how fish stage up. But it's always kind of like, you know, never seen it, but yeah, definitely. Like when I was snorkeling, if you get a bunch of fish in a row, they certainly line up pretty much by size. You know, you'll have your big, and again, like I said, these creeks I'm in are small. So when I say big, you know, maybe a big fish on, on average is like 10, 12 inches. Um, we've seen some monsters, like I've seen some 18 inch fish in these creeks and it's like, what are you doing here? But yeah, you definitely get this like staging up of like a big fish in the front and then it just tapers back as they, you know, kind of, like you said, dominance in their feeding lane. You'll get maybe your six inch fish in the back and like a 10 inch one in the front. And I've noticed a lot of times too, you'll have usually the first, maybe two or three are all about the same size and will kind of rotate through almost like kind of fighting for that top spot, um, which is really interesting to see you know, some fish kind of battling it out as like, who's the the dominant fish, if you will, of getting to sit in the front front of the feeding lane. So that's been pretty cool to see.
You ever come around a bend and there's an otter or a muskrat? I don't even know if there's muskrats. I know the otters can be up on the passes. Um, yeah. So wildlife wise, we're definitely are very aware. Um, we try to keep our eyes open. Lots of bears, mountain lions. Who knew? Um, so I've seen otters, otters, moose. Um, we had a moose and it's, it's calves walk right through our camp, like 20 yards away from us. We were just sitting there like, okay, nobody move. Cause if this thing notices us or gets pissed, it's going to kill all of us. Um, you know, mama moose are not something to play with. So we've had that tons of elk, um, lots of bear tracks, mountain lion tracks. Our, our last trip actually was a um, three-night, four-day backpacking trip where we get dropped off basically at the top of this river system and we hike. There's actually a trail that goes along it for hunters to use that we hike down through. It's a 24-mile through hike. And as we were starting the trip, now I will say this, it had, for people that are hunters or kind of know about animal tracks, it had rained the night before. So all animal tracks, for the most part, at least, you know, it was kind of like a sandy thing we're walking on. For the most part, it would be pretty washed out. Um, we'd gotten a pretty heavy rain the night before. We start our hike in, and as soon as we start, right on our trail, walking in the same direction as we are, was just the biggest wolf print I've ever seen. I mean, it was, I mean, I don't have huge hands, but it was every bit the exact same size as my hand which I don't know a lot about wolves, but the people I was with were like, yeah, that's a big wolf track. Like most of them are kind of a bit smaller than your hand. But yeah, I mean, walking, following the exact track that we were for a while. We never saw him, but it was definitely like, okay, we're about to be in the woods for three nights with this giant wolf. So we try to be alert about that stuff, but usually like in the water, there's not really much that's going to hurt us are there any urban legends like mothman bunny man anything out there you have to be cautious well i mean i i'm a believer in the turkey man myself but turkey man yeah hopefully he brings me sandwiches what what is this turkey man that it was a story my uh my stepdad used to tell me when i was a kid i can't remember the exact story but basically it was like based out of like the adirondacks because you'd always hear freaking turkeys while we were out there and my stepdad and one of his friends used to love to screw with us when we were kids and be like, yeah, that's the turkey, man. And basically, you know, like any of the other ones, some guy that was raised up by turkeys and, uh, you know, abandoned as a kid and raised by turkeys and now goes around and uh, torments, you know, campers or local youth groups that are out and whatever and kidnap the kids and stuff like that. So he's half man, half turkey, which doesn't sound like it should be scary. But when you're like eight, ten years old, it is. I'll tell you what. Oh, <laughs> it's frightening. I'm gonna have to see what kind of images come up when you Google Turkey Man. Yeah, I know. Probably nothing good. Oh my god, yeah, we've got the Bunny Man here. My girlfriend lives right near Bunny Man Bridge. Oh no, that's not good. No, that's not the real Bunny Man. Bunny Man's from Reston, where I'm from, not from Clifton. Um, you ever get to see lonesome larry no i mean he's you know a big legend around here which is such a sad story honestly but like i didn't get to see him that was what a year or two before i got up here i think um yeah for the people that don't know about lonesome larry he was a uh uh what sockeye mm -hmm. i think 
yeah, that uh, he was the only one that returned in a year, which, you know, hopefully that means a lot to people. That is awful. I mean, they had one singular sockeye salmon return in an entire year. Um, and basically they, they ended up harvesting him and I think it was a, it was, yeah, Larry, it was a male. So they, they froze his sperm and stuff and saved his genetics to try to, they're, they're doing a lot of efforts right now to restock sockeye. And I think the last time I checked, it's been doing pretty okay. I think they're having a like a lot, you know, again, compared to one, anything is a lot larger returns, but I think they're in like hundreds of fish returning now or something i can't remember what the one of my buddies worked up at the uh the sawtooth fish hatchery up in stanley idaho which is where um larry came to which that was a super cool job for him too that was my one of my buddies from school so he would know more about probably the return numbers than i would but they had some they're starting to get better returns which that that hatchery is actually one of the farthest points that they go inland. That hatchery is right at about a thousand miles that these fish are migrating, which I can only imagine for Larry. He swam all that way to then get there and be like, Where's what the, the heck, man? Where's the party at? What's going on? Poor guy. I know. The, the, the trip and stuff when you're out with, where the wolf was like tracking you and stuff, do you guys forge for anything and like just find like berries and yeah absolutely there's i mean so we usually pack food with us you know we'll pack at least lunches and some mountain houses for dinner but the entire trail that we're walking is just full of huckleberries and thimbleberries some blackberries not as much up high but more down low so yeah pretty much the entire time we're hiking we're just picking berries and eating them because i don't know if you ever had huckleberries but they are awesome hold hold that thought check this out uh oh, here we go. Oh, man, I dropped it. I went to Wegmans today and they had oh, yeah. huckleberry ice cream. That stuff is the bomb. So I might have to hide this from everyone. I don't know if I yeah. can. This is the only one they had. Dude, that stuff is so good. Yeah. Have you ever had it before? No. I, I, I've had some huckleberry things. I want to try the. Dry fly distilling huckleberry lemonade vodka drink. It's in a can. Oh, it's good. It's really good. I had it. Um, well, I don't know if I had that exact one. I think the the brand I had was like North or something, 40 degrees north or something. Um, so that's like the of Idaho, whatever the latitude or whatever it is. And that was really good. So if you get your hands on it, I'll try it. But that ice cream is awesome. You better really set the mood when you sit down to eat it because it's good. All right. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I'm going to have to open that before it's dessert time. And then what about you ever just like grab a fish for dinner? Yeah. So this is what's, you know, earlier I had said, we hope we don't see brook trout because it's so funny to me coming, you know, from New York where it's the New York state fish. And everyone's trying to protect it because it's getting so screwed versus out here where it is just thriving and everyone hates it. So usually if we catch brook trout, they encourage you. I know to a lot of people, this is maybe sound bad, but they encourage you to kill them. They are really, you know, screwing with the cutthroat trout and, and especially bull trout because they can hybridize with bull trout. So you're losing these pure strain of bull trout. Um, what is that called when they hybridize? I think they just call it a bull trout hybrid. 
like a bull trout, brook trout hybrid. They don't have a cool name for it, like tiger trout or anything like that. Call call. Yeah, for people that you know don't know, bull trout and brook trout are both char. They're not even technically trout. They can actually hybridize together, which they still get big and they're still mean like bull trout are. But when they hybridize, you know, you start just losing your pure strain, which people don't want. So with bull trout, oh God, I love those fish. I can tell tons of stories about those alone. But yeah, so we eat, we eat a lot of brook. Well, not a lot, but we'll eat brookies if we catch them. Every once in we've eaten a few cutthroat, but not many. You know, when the season's open, sometimes we've kept like one or two and, and they're good. But usually we kind of just look at fish and let them on their way. So if you are going to go target bull trout, what is your, what's your rig and setup that you're going to take with you? So I've been running a 10 foot seven weight floating line. Generally, you're going to be throwing streamers. So you're going to want probably like a, you know, a heavier weight forward line. Is that um, just, they're just piscivorous when they're huge? They just need to eat meat? So I will say generally, um, I will give my, what I consider to be a hot tip on this podcast um, for bull trout that I don't think most people are doing. So generally, yes, throw big streamers. Um, white with a little bit of green on it tends to be really good. That sort of resembles cutthroat, small of sorts, you know, smaller fish. But I will say this, when you're not catching them on big streamers, um, I like to throw a big stonefly. I don't think many people are doing it. You know, throw a big size two or four golden stone, something with a big heavy head on it and big legs and stuff. I don't think many people are doing it, but man, I caught quite a few on big stoneflies. Because everybody's throwing streamers, right? These bull trout, if they're in a well-known place, have streamers thrown at them all day. So if you switch it up, like the first the first one I caught was on accident. I was just nymphing with my four weight under an indicator, trying to catch rainbows or whatever. And I set into this thing and I'm like, oh, that's a really nice rainbow. I was like, oh, wait, that's not a rainbow trout. And it ended up being like an 18-inch bull on my four weight, which was super sick. And then after that, I, you know, just started throwing more, you know, cause a lot of times you can sight fish them, you see them, you're fishing directly for them. So if you can just get a stone fly and kind of get it right in front of them, you'll, you'll usually get them to suck it up, even though, you know, the big ones and you think, oh, they'll only eat meat. They, they still go for big stones, but usually like leader wise, you can run just about whatever you want. Um, I think I was usually running like 12 or 15 pound. Um, they're not too picky. And I like to have something that's strong because they are super strong. And I really want to be able to put work to them and get them in quick and release them quick because they are still protected. Go into so, that whole bit about you can you can fish for them there, but not in other states. Yeah, so you can fish for them in Idaho, uh, I believe Washington and Oregon and like there's a river or two in Montana that you can, but just, you know, keep in mind, they are protected. So barbless only single hooks. Um, so if you're fishing articulated streamers, make sure it only has one hook on it. Usually the tail hook I would recommend because a lot of times you get short strikes. Um, 
Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. So they are protected. You want to make sure you keep them in the, you're not allowed to keep them. Obviously Um, you want to make sure you kind of keep them in the water, get your quick pictures or whatever, and then, you know, send them on the way. They are absolutely gorgeous. Um, They are probably between them and steelhead are my favorite fish. Um, They, and man, they throw down, they are some hard fighting fish. I mean, even a 20 inch fish, you know, corks my seven weight. So yeah, you want to make sure you're, you're, you know, careful with them. So I also usually throw sink tips too. So I'll have my fly line to a sink tip to my leader. Cause if you're fishing deep plunge pools, you really want to get down and deep to them quick and then just strip aggressively. Don't try to like, you know, do all these little fancy things, whatever. I would just hit it out there and strip, 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 strip. And then when they hit, just hold on. Cause They'll crush your streamer. Um, they're super sweet. I noticed that the higher in elevation I went, the cutthroat stopped, and then it was all bull trout. Yeah. Yeah, at a certain point, you kind of get – usually, like, what I always, like, have noticed is it doesn't go both ways. If there's bull trout, there's pretty much always cutthroat. But just because there's cutthroat, there's not always bull trout. But, yeah, usually, like, that, that through hike that we did – where we stopped at basically the headwaters of this river and went down through the first, you know, day of hiking, every site we went to was just bull trout, little, little baby ones for the most part, but bull trout, bull trout, bull trout only. And then it kind of got into bull trout and cutthroat and then kind of more cutthroat than bull trout and then kind of just cutthroat. Um, so it kind of like tapered out as the water got slowly warmer. Um, so yeah, you'll definitely um, have that happen. Hanging out there, have you met any of the like quote unquote old timers? And if you have, what have they said about back in the day? Bull trout, cutthroat, salmon, steelhead. Yeah, so that's usually the audience that I. So right now, the job I'm doing actually is I'm a. It's called a creel technician. So basically, I go out and uh, interview anglers. What are you catching? Where were you catching them? What are you catching them on? You know, how long have you been fishing? The the basic questions about you know fishing which has been super cool to like learn about the fishery just because naturally as anglers i feel like you're always just kind of bullshitting with each other hey where, where you been kind of stuff like that and usually like as an angler i always try to take things with a grain of salt because i know some people are kind of like try to throw you off but with this job everyone's super honest with you because it helps protect the fishery but usually like when I'm out fishing, that's who I target is the old timers. You know, I try to talk to them because they seem to be the most forthcoming and wanting to help out a younger guy getting into the sport. And yeah, I mean, most of it is about steelhead and all of them all say pretty much the same thing. 
which I feel like is always so typical is like, yep, should have been here about five years ago type of thing. You know, they definitely all say the fishery is going downhill from where it was. And it's, it's, it's tough to see, especially working for fish and game. And like, you, you know, I kind of know how much effort and work they're trying to put into it to like get it back. But a lot of the anglers don't see it that way. A lot of the anglers are pretty like grumpy about it. And they're like, oh, fish and game is blah, 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 you know, ruining this fishery. And it's like, you know, we're really not, you know, we're trying our best to help protect it for everyone else. You know, people see a season gets shut down and they complain about it. And it's like, well, you, you know, you can't have it both ways. You can't complain that the fishery is getting worse and that you want it to stay open. You know, sometimes one or the other has to happen to help it. But yeah, a lot of the old timers are always talking about how like, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago, it was like, you know, to catch a hundred fish in a season was relatively, you know, a regular thing, you know, again, spay fishing, you know, the, the people out there, bait fishing, whatever, they they still kill it. They catch a lot of fish. But the spay fishing game obviously is, you know, for anyone who does it is a bit more, not as much numbers and more like this is just really, you know, I guess satisfies your soul kind of thing. Um, and if you get a fish, great. But yeah, a lot of them used to be like, yeah, you know, I pretty much get at least one or three every time I went out just about. And they're like, now, you know, maybe you pick up one or two a week or something, which I'm still waiting to get one or two a week, but um, so they definitely talk about that. It used to be a lot better. The bull trout is not, is not as much because not that many people target them really. And the people that do, it is a super tight lip community. Nobody talks about it at all. You know, I have been searching for a long time about podcasts on bull trout and all that other stuff. And there's just not many. So you know, you know, someday we want to film a bull trout podcast, that'd be pretty sweet too. But there is just not much about it. The one time I went bull trout fishing, I was pretty much more or less blindfolded, spun in a circle and driven there in the trunk. Yeah. And they didn't even tell me, like, I was not even told the name of the stream. I described yeah. it to somebody and somebody once was like, oh, I know where that was. And I was like, how? Where were you? Like near like Ponderay. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a very beer up there. Yeah. yeah. It's the bull trout fishing. It's weird because people either hate them because they think they're eating all their cutthroat or whatever, or, you know, love them and are like, yeah, I won't tell you anything about it. So, I mean, I, I you know, am guilty too. I don't spot drop because a lot of the spots that I go to are pretty remote. It, it's it's sad because like I want to be able to just tell people like hey this is where I'm going, but the unfortunate truth of it is, and being from, you know this generation, I can certainly say it is, a lot of people my age especially you know they ruin these places you know they they go there too much they litter they leave all their garbage around. And all these places that used to be accessible then get closed down. I mean, you see it all the time with swimming holes or, you know, anywhere fishing related, you know, people just, they fuck it up. So I don't tell people where I fish. I'll tell them how to catch them. And the rest is on you, you know, use Google maps and look for these things. But, you know, I wish I could tell people like, Hey, go here, check this spot out. You'll, you're going to catch one, but it's just, 
kind of the way the world is now, I feel like you just can't do that, especially with social media, it just gets too blown up. Yeah. So people are just finding these spots because people tag spots and they see people there and then the parking yeah. lots are all full and there's garbage the whole way in and out. Exactly. And like, if people would treat it with respect, I have no problem telling them where to go. Sure. Go fish it. I don't own the, the water. I don't own the resources. It's not my thing to be judge and jury of, but at the same time, it kind of is in a way like, you know, I feel responsible to protect these little hidden gems that, you know, me or my buddy find because, you know, it's rare. I mean, especially coming from the Salmon River, you know, you're out there fishing with a thousand people, you know, people shoulder to shoulder. And you find these certain areas where like you can fish an entire week and not see another soul, which is rare. And you, you think, how is this possible? Because you're catching consistently catching fish each day, a few fish each day, you know, especially some of these bull trout areas that me and my buddy had found, like, you know, we'd go out there and pretty much every time we go, at least one of us would get a really quality fish. And it's like, wow, how is nobody fishing this stuff? And it's just because it's pretty remote and it doesn't look very, you know, it's pretty obscure places and whatnot. So, you know, kind of keep those places secured. But I definitely like sharing, you know, what I'm doing, strategies, techniques, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I was fishing a private quarry full of smallmouth bass where you can see down 30, 40 feet. Yeah. I'm going to take everyone there and fish, but I'm like, no one I know is ever going to go there. Right. Well, that's the tough part. It's like you have these, like I said, you have these spots that are, you know, public, you know, some of them are public. Like this happens all the time, especially, you know, back where I'm from fishing the Asopus River a ton. We had this one spot that we used to, me and my buddy used to fish all the time. I mean, me and my friend would fish the Asopus four or five days a week. So we learned that river up, down, back and forth, every stone in it. And we had all these areas that we would access we would go fish these spots and there was this one spot that was public access behind a grocery store. Well, it wasn't, it was private, but they let people on, they didn't care. But then it just started getting so trashed that they then, you know, we got to talking with the people and friendly with them, but at one, you know, at some point they shut it down and they were like, look, you know, I know you guys are cool, whatever, but we can't have anybody back here because if people see you coming back, they're going to think they can too. And they're like, it's just getting out of hand. We got to shut it down. And that was like one of my favorite holes in the river. And that was so heartbreaking to me because that was one of the spots where it's like, man, we're having a tough day. Let's go here. We're going to catch fish. You know, you just knew it. It was a deep run. This, you know, there was always fish loaded up in there. So that was kind of a, a heartbreaker. And to me, it was like, wow, you really got to, you know, keep these areas secret, which is sad because i'm such a social person i like to bring people out and show them where to go and how to catch fish like i get just as much joy out of seeing someone catch a fish as me catching them your group on the salmon river those guys were all newbies up there right yeah you guys yeah yeah Yeah. so it was me i think when i was with you was me my buddy josh and my buddy joey my buddy josh has been up there a bunch of times my buddy joey had you know, it's funny. I told him uh, last night that I was coming on here and he goes, oh, you're going to give your old pal a shout out on the podcast. So shout out to Joey. That's actually the guy that, you know, we really cut our teeth together on the Asopus. I mean, me and him dissected that river and Josh. I mean, Josh lives on that river, too. And the three of us just cut that river to pieces and, you know, dialed it in. So, yeah, when I met you, that was Joey's like 
I can't remember if that was his first time or, you know, within his first few, you know, he ended up getting his first steelhead. I think it was that day. Maybe it was within those few days. Yeah. So, you know, to watch him catch his first steelhead was like incredible. Cause I remember my, like I vividly, even at 10 years old, remember my first fish. Um, and it's such a life-changing, you know, like I said, such a life-changing thing for me to have caught that fish. And then the experiences that it's brought me through after that and really just like, you know, helped in my life, you know, at certain parts of my life when things weren't as gloriful as they are now, like being able to go to the salmon river and just have a weekend of like, okay, you know, I get to fish now and this is my river therapy. If I catch a fish, great. And, you know, you know, they've, they've certainly, you know, that fish alone has absolutely changed my life and helped me through a lot of things. So it's cool to share that with people. Yeah. So when you, you and your buddies are out driving to the river and stuff, I want to get the younger person's perspective. You can't, through Zoom, I can usually smell the mothballs coming mm -hmm. through people's offices. I talk right. to some dudes. You, you're one of the younger ones. What's the perspective? Is it old people have ruined everything? Do you, like puffy hats and flat brim hats, rods on shoulders? What do you, what do you guys talk about? I don't, uh, you know, I don't think, I don't think anybody's ruined it. You know, I think it's only ruined if you let it be ruined, really, not to get all like philosophical, but like, I don't know. I think it's awesome. You know, when we go out, the energy is just, I mean, disgustingly through the roof. You know, when you get me and especially Joey, um, but even, you know, between I've got a group of like, I don't fish with a ton of people usually. I have like a few people that I'm really like, these are my guys to fish with. You know, yeah. me, Joey, Josh, Alec, or my buddy Ben, Connor, you know, a few other people. And it's like, when we get together, the energy is just, you know, we're all on the same wavelength. It's like, if one of us catches a fish, group success. So, you know, I don't think anybody's, you know, you get you you get your crabby old dudes that are like, rah, 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 you know, dry fly, I own the river, whatever. And like, yes, those people are annoying. But I found there's also a lot of younger kids that go out and are super disrespectful. So I think that's kind of the blast image you get when you see, you know, me and my degenerate group of friends coming on the river. You're like, oh, here we go. Here comes a bunch of yahoos where it's like, you know, we're really not. You know, we have a lot of energy and we bring a youthful vibe to it but we also are all of us have degrees in fisheries pretty much so we're very you know mindful of conservation and all that other stuff so you know my perspective is like yeah you know fishing maybe not as good as it maybe once was but if you just get out and socialize with people and just enjoy what's that one quote? It's like many people fish their whole lives, not realizing it isn't the fish they're after. Mm -hmm. That's something I like truly believe. Like if I'm out fishing, I don't really care if I catch a fish sometimes after a while. Yeah. You want to catch a fish, but like, you know, if I go out and one person catches one in the group, I'm happy, like just to be able to be out enjoying the resource. So that's, you know, that's my mindset when I'm out fishing. And I think, that's why like me and my group get along so well is because a lot of them feel the same way. It's like, as long as we're out with all of our buddies, we're having fun, you know, whatever we're, you know, pretty much nonstop spleen hurt laughing the entire time. Just about like, I'm sure when we were out there on Christmas, you know, we were, we're always just yelling back and forth to each other, just being, 
you know, idiots basically and, and just having fun, which is, that's, that's the mindset I take when I'm out there, you know, I, you know, I don't think we fit into that group of the, like that new age, younger fly fisherman, like you're saying, it's got the, yeah, the, the flat brims and the, you know, all that stuff. I think we find, you know, my group is in this happy medium of old soul on beliefs, you know, conservation of that stuff but still carrying that super young energy with us. Are there any companies you guys prefer, brands, things that are, you have so many more options today. Like when I was your age, we had Winston, Sage, Orvis, Thomas and Thomas and Scott. It was like, yeah, choice for rods. And now just everything for every budget too whether you're a student or a professional. Well, and that's the thing is like up until, you know, the last few years, I wasn't invested in any high-end gear because I was and still am broke. Um, My go-to was always this company called Shoefly. Um, They're based out of Nanuet. I'm not going to fully endorse them anymore because of the guy that owned them, the things that he did. Um, He's in jail now. When I was when I was a kid, you know, those are the first rods that my dad bought us to go to the Salmon River with. Uh, Eleven foot eight weights is what we had to go to the Salmon River with. They are basically a hundred to one hundred and twenty dollar rods, and I still own a ton of them. He remembered you. I talked to him at one of the shows before yeah. he was locked up. Yes, yeah, he ended up getting into some trouble with uh, um, some something he was doing with an underage person and yeah it didn't end up like coming out out she was what's that is that publicly known yeah yeah it's i mean it's in the paper if you google it (laughs) so i mean i you know i don't want to slander the guy he was great to us and whatever but yeah that's the company that i always use i mean they're basically hundred dollar rods and in my opinion you still can't get a rod that is better for a hundred dollars anywhere i still own what six of them probably i use them all the time i've caught more fish on those rods than anything moonshine is one that my buddy really likes they used to be a bit cheaper now they're definitely not super a cheap option but they're another option you know i just started getting more orvis stuff because i was the president of our trout unlimited club back in school and uh we got a discount through orvis i think it was like 50 percent or 40 something percent so yeah so i bought two recons from them which are awesome they're freaking sick rods you know i never would have been able to buy one at a normal price so i was super glad to get that discount that's what my seven weight and my four weight are both recons and they're sweet so yeah moonshine shoe fly uh there's definitely a bunch of there's so many companies now like so many of these small time companies that are just making rods and and i always tell people like you don't need that 600 rod as your first thing go buy one of the freaking walmart starters or cabela starter rods like at least until you know you like it usually i tell people buy buy a shoe fly rod and a decent reel so that way, even if you end up liking it, you still won't need to upgrade it for a while. Because like I said, I still use them. And I and I like to think, you know, my fly fishing is, you know, at a pretty high level right now. And like, I still use them just fine. You know, if I could afford 
more expensive rods, I would have them, but you know, they still work just fine for me. So that that's usually the rod I recommend people to get if they're starting is look at shoe fly. What do you guys think about like bamboo rods? If I could afford them, I'd have them. I think they're sweet. My so my buddy Josh, he's really into a lot more of that like old time stuff, reading up on literature of the cat skills and all that other stuff. So he's got a few like of the really old time bamboo rods that are like, you know, super heavy, but like really authentic. And they're sweet. They're super sick. I, I haven't used it. I've casted it a few times in his lawn. But they're cool. You know, I'd love to get into them at some point. I have a few fiberglass rods, which I really like, too. Um, I feel like that's kind of like your almost equivalent type of thing. You yeah. know, same action. Absolutely. Um, what do you guys yeah, You guys do a lot of dirt bagging, car camping, road tripping, like enjoying life while you can. You're young. Yeah. Bones don't hurt. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly... Yeah, that's certainly what I've been doing, at least over the summer. You know, like I said, I've been living out of my car. Um, but even when I'm home, we do a lot of we do a lot more of like weekend camping trips just because that's kind of what we have time for. But a lot of like, you know, go up Friday, Saturday, come back Sunday type of thing, just cooking on a campfire or whatever. And that's, those are the trips I love the most, just keeping it simple and catching some fish. You know, you go out for a weekend and especially in like the Delaware or something, like you can usually really pick it apart, catch a lot of fish, have a really good time and just, you know, get away from cell service for a few days and really just enjoy the time out there. You still eating Mountain House when you're fishing on the Delaware? Uh, usually I think our go-to is hot dogs. Cooking hot dogs over the fire is usually a pretty simple go-to. I will tell you, a hot dog cooked over a solo stove is is a great pleasure. Dude, it's awesome. I mean, when you're out in the woods, like anything that's just hot at the end of a day is like a game changer. It doesn't even really matter what it is. Like suddenly a hot dog tastes like a steak and it's awesome. At the Trestle Pool Lodge, dinner in the crock pot, it's like, I've been freezing my butt off and I'm tired. I yeah. Just a hot meal and whatever they have, it works. Oh, absolutely. It's like anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Like any sort of hot food at the end, especially like, especially steelhead season when it is just cold. You're like, you know, if it's in the summertime, usually like I'll just make like a sandwich or something. You don't care as much about like a hot meal when it's, you know, 90 degrees outside. But in that fall and winter time, oh, anything warm is just awesome. If you're not making a sandwich in Idaho, where are you going to go to get your sandwich? We got your place in New York. Where's these sandwiches in Idaho that year? That's what's, you know, that is the one tough part about being out here. There is not that many good places to go out to eat. Especially like Will as a New Yorker. Yeah. Well, that's for sure. It's like everything out here is mostly like fast food. So usually I'll go to like, uh, there's this grocery store called Rose Hours. And I think there's Wegmans out here too. So usually I'll go, or maybe there's not, not Wegmans. What is it? I can't remember, but yeah, Rose Hours is usually where I'll go. They've got like a hot food section that's like pretty good. Usually I'll just buy lunch meat and make my own. There's there's not that many good places to go out to eat here. It's like mostly fast food, which is the one place that's definitely got me bummed out out here is I'm like, man, I like to 
every once in a while I'll just go out and like there's no delis i haven't found a single like deli yet to get like a breakfast sandwich or whatever and it's like what the heck is going on out here and the pizza is is not good <laughs> especially coming from new york i'm yeah. like i mean again i'm certainly spoiled but it's like the pizza's a big letdown your your worst pizza back home is still better than the best pizza here yeah in northern virginia oh, i'm sure yeah I just got these dumpling molds and mm -hmm. there's a huge empanada one. And we're going to Traeger calzones this weekend. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. And it's supposed to be hurricane or post tropical, whatever hurricane coming through. So it might just be a cold rainy weekend. Oh, from what is it? Ian or something? Yeah. yeah. It's uh, yeah. supposed to rain. So we, my girlfriend's got a show on Friday in her metal band and then she's singing her normal stuff outside on saturday so i don't know if that's gonna be working throw up some tarps yeah let's give a shout out to her band age of ruin she's a, a vocalist in it they are um let me say death metal i don't know man it's it's pretty wild stuff is it on like apple music spotify anything like that it should be they've been around for a long time oh check it out for sure it's pretty wild seeing her up there when they're just like and i'm just and she's got this angelic voice because she's ariel from the little mermaid and just she's singing over this like just and normally it's her with an acoustic guitar and she's strumming and it's mm. different yeah it's supposed to be a cold rainy weekend striper fishing might be good oh man stripers are like the death of me i have never been successful for those things Tried and tried as I may. Me and Alec have tried a lot. Spent many nights out on the Hudson River to no success. It's a big river, man. Yeah, I know. That one's tough. Yeah, we were working some in D.C. the other day, but there was so much bait fish in the water that yeah, it was impossible for anything to find our fly. We just kept foul hooking shad Yeah, every third cast. It turned into a great roll casting lesson. Yeah. How's the snakehead hunting been? We were out yesterday in a really good spot, and then we got one huge largemouth, and then the wind just picked up. Mm. And it went from glass to an inch of water in the boat because the water was lapping over the Oh, my God. And we were like, yeah, this sucks. It was so windy. We burned through normally like four trips worth of gas in one trip. Jesus. Wild. Yeah, we almost had a row back from the second spot. It was wild. I haven't seen them. Uh, they're in the lake down the street. I just haven't been back over there. In like two Yeah. Years. Yeah, I've never caught one. I'd like to catch one someday. I mean, during the shad run, you can get snakehead, you can get gar, catfish, trout, tilapia, stripers, all like in one spot on the Potomac. That's sick. Roll cast and strip. You don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah, I'm hoping to be home at some point this winter and hit the Salmon River. But So what are your work plans? Is this seasonal for you? This is seasonal. So I'll be doing this job until October 15th. And then as of now, my plan is to move to Montana November 10th. And I'll be working at a ski mountain just to like keep me busy for the winter, basically. I'll be working as a lifty at uh, Big Sky. Yeah. And then next summer, I don't know yet, possibly come back out here 
one of my buddies is a fly fishing guide in Alaska and said he'll have an opening at his lodge. So I may go do that. Don't um, get married, go to Alaska. Yeah. If Why it works out with my, the, so what my buddy's actually getting married in April. So I have to make sure I'm here for that. So if it works out with those dates, then, uh, then I will uh, do that. Shout out Connor and Kendall. Yeah. So, so we got Halloween coming up. What is your, uh, preference for candies oh i'm more of like a i like sort of like fruity candies myself like i probably skittles big skittles guy and then are you gonna have <laughs> trunk or treating <laughs> i may i'm actually i'm gonna go hang out probably with my buddy at u of i oh up in, uh, college Moscow. halloween party yeah so I that should be it. fun I, so maybe I, will. Time, I would do that again Oh yeah, I'm I'm excited. It should be fun. It's a little bit of a bigger school than I'm used to, so it should be a good time. He's in one of the fraternities up there. So, how big was your school? Uh, so it's about two thousand kids, twenty five hundred kids total. My program, the whole program, I think has like, I mean, maybe a hundred kids, and I graduated with four. Wow! So yeah, it was me and hundred students. It yeah, it was me and three other kids that I graduated with. <laughs> you guys just all go in one car out to lunch afterwards. Yeah, basically. What's your dad up to these days? Um, he's he's just working. I've been trying to get him to come out here, but you know, he's just doing the IBM thing. He's busy working. He hasn't been fishing much now that we're all kind of out of the house. But um, I've been trying to get him to fly out here, but no dice yet. And your, your other brother still enlisted? He's done now, actually. Well, he's actually, he's living basically right in the same city as me right now. So his girlfriend is a traveling nurse. So they're kind of just like traveling the country right now. Yeah, traveling the country, doing their thing. So they're moving to, uh, they're moving to Washington. Well, they're in technically sort of like the Idaho-Washington border right now. They're moving more. Um, to like coastal Washington, like today, pretty much actually, they'll be leaving like soon. And then uh, the other two are still sort of uh, located in New York. So everyone's kind of, everyone's getting a little more spread out as of now. Yeah. Are you, you and your buddies planning a Salmon River trip? Hopefully. I mean, that's, the, so my plan is probably to like, I don't know. We'll see kind of how things work out, but maybe hang in Montana for like, cause technically that job goes till April, but I may hang there for like half the winter and then just move back home. Cause I've been away from home now for like five, six months. So it'd be nice to kind of get back and hang out with my buddies and my family again. So I'll probably come back about halfway through the winter and then definitely be planning a salmon river trip. I'll have to keep you in the loop on that. If you yeah. have free time. Ariel wants to go up, so I think she wants to stay at the the Tailwaters Lodge. Like, there is nothing if you're not an angler, there's nothing to do in Altmar. No, you can go to the Salmon River Falls. That's that's like it. Yeah, no, there's nothing to do there if you're not fishing. I mean, that town is literally just run by anglers. Yeah, like if that fishery were to ever cease, I think that town would just turn into a ghost land. It'd just be done It'd be over for yeah i'm getting my fall steelhead fever now that i mean you can see i'm wearing my hat 
I didn't turn my heat on this morning. Yeah, it was cold out. Yeah, it's still weird here because like we're getting into really nighttime lows, but it's still pretty warm during the day. Well, it wasn't. Like a week ago, we were getting into consistent like 65s, which I was super hyped about because I was going to start making the steelhead fishing started really picking up. But then this week we got hit with like a heat wave. It's been like yesterday was like 91. Wow. And then I woke up this morning and it was 52. Oh my God. We we get a lot of highs and lows. So um, hopefully next week things start cooling down again and then the fishing will really pick up for us. Yeah. I'm hoping our largemouth fishing picks up. Everything's got to put on that fat for winter. Mm-hmm. So I was hoping we would get some rain this weekend just to flush things out. Yeah. For just get sure. a whole new, whole new water in the lakes and reservoirs around here. Yeah. And the water has been pretty low here. We, we've had a later than normal forest fire season out here too. So the fires have just started kicking up like maybe like a month ago, but it looks like things are starting to clear up now. It was super smoky for like a week there, but it's not too bad anymore. So where can people find like the work that you're doing and find you online? If anything, social media. Well, like, I mean, if they want to find me, they can find me. I think my Instagram, I don't even know what my Instagram is. I don't really use social media a ton. What is mine? Mine is just my name. So Shane Gullickson, like if people have questions, they can certainly, you know, find me on Instagram and ask, ask away. I'd be happy to answer them. Uh, My last name is just G-U-L-L-I-K-S-E-N. But like I said, general work-wise, like Texas A&M is a really killer website. It's super simple to find jobs. Um, Like I said, they have seasonal and full-time, so it can be for any age bracket, you know, people looking for just a cool summer to your next lifelong career, whatever. But yeah, I mean, if you want to follow me on Instagram, you certainly can. I Like I said, I don't have much posted on there, so it's not going to be super interesting. But if you want to ask questions or whatever, I'm always you know, happy to answer. Um, you should have a contest to find your doppelganger. I know. Yeah. First person to find someone that looks like me. You do. You could be like the, the brother of that redhead actress chick who does the, the OnlyFans thing. You swear to make her famous. Bella <laughs> You look like Bella Thorne almost with your red hair. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah. I'll take that. Yeah. I mean, if you, if people are curious what I look like, I think, I mean, I have pictures of myself on Instagram, usually holding a fish or something, but yeah, if somebody can find a good doppelganger, we'll send them a, some flies in a koozie or something. Heck yeah. I'll be curious to see. There was one kid at my college so this won't help anyone that apparently I never got to see him, but everybody said he looked identical to me and they'd always see him and be like shouting my name. And the kid returned like, Oh, that's not him. But I never got to meet the kid and I'm still bummed about it. But there, everyone was like, dude, you have a twin here. I swear. And I was but like, that school is so small. I know. I don't know how I never saw him. Somehow he, he was hiding from me. I think it was like the first day we're like, we're going to screw with this guy. Shane. Yeah. <laughs> the turkey man's going to get him, and we're going to pretend he's got a doppelganger. Yeah, exactly. I, Your I doppelganger is the turkey man. It could be. You never know. Dude, the turkey man's out there, and he's real. So if you're on the Adirondacks, be careful. Before we run out of time, what are some some car camping and cold weather fishing tips you've got for 
for staying warm? Uh, good sleeping bag for sure. Um, a good sleeping bag is key. And, and one thing I don't think I really realized is whatever they're rated for, I don't think that's like, you know, a 32 degree bag. I don't think that means you're comfortable at 32 degrees. I think it means you'll survive. Um, so I would get something that's lower than what you think you're going to be because then you'll be like actually comfortable. Um, so definitely a good sleeping bag and a pillow pillows go so far. Like I never realized how much, like, I mean, like, you know, you'll be fine crumpling up your clothes and sleeping on it, but man, if you have a real pillow, it just enhances your sleep tenfold. Um, down are you, uh, foam polyfill buckwheat husk? Usually I just, you know, whatever a cheap pillow from Walmart I can find. Um, I used to have this like inflatable pillow that was like a nice little camping thing. And that was pretty good too. Yeah. I would say the three things, good sleeping bag, pillow, and a good sleeping pad, you know, something that gets you off the ground will help definitely keep you warm in the winter time or warmer. You know, if you're camping in your car, it's, you know, usually like, like my car, I can fold my seats down. So that makes it pretty comfy. Last summer, I was just sleeping in my driver's seat all summer. I didn't have the bed built for it, which really wasn't as bad because, you know, the seat lays down flat. <laughs> That's but, why you're cracking your neck. Yeah, no, definitely. That that wasn't the most comfortable. But I mean, honestly, like consistency too. Like if you're camping in your car for like a night or two each year, it's it won't be super comfy but if you're in that thing a lot you start getting used to it and acquainted to it and like suddenly it's really comfortable mm -hmm. um so you know not that you know if you're going out for a few day fishing trip you know you're not going to live in your car for weeks just so you're comfortable for those few days but definitely helps if you're in it for a lot you know more consistent period of time absolutely um and, and a good tent tents go a long way you know, they, they keep you a lot warmer than you think. Just having like that enclosed area around you to keep some body heat in. I like Big Agnes a lot. They make really good stuff. It's it's expensive, but the way I look at all my gear is like it's all just an investment that, you know, if you're using it a lot, man, it makes life a lot easier to have nice stuff. Um, so that that's my recommendation just in general. If you're if it's something you're doing a lot, I would just spend the money now and get nice things so you you'll have it for a lifetime you don't have to worry about it right on man all right dude well that covers most of my questions cool. we planned this on christmas eve i think yeah this has been a long time coming. <laughs> it's like you know you had covid then i had covid and then moving jobs and then this and that and so i'm glad it finally worked out Absolutely. I'm a little happier than I was then. So I'm glad we got to do this. Yeah, me too. And, and like I said, if we ever want to do a bull trout episode, I'd be super down to get yeah. some insight on those slippery little creatures. Yeah, we'll definitely do that again. I'm sure we'll get um, yeah, this was fun. I really enjoyed it. All right, dude. Well, peace out and hopefully I'll see you on the Salmon River. And Yeah, man. Let's keep in touch. And, uh, you know, if you ever come out to Idaho, you're more than welcome. And, uh, Maybe we'll get out in the Salmon River, too, or something. Yeah, man. All right, dude. Cool. And then I'd say send me your, your car address. So I could send you some flies or something. But <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of have an address at Fishing Games, so. 
All right. If anybody needs to drop off a sandwich for Shane, it's the fishing game office. Yeah. All right, Thanks, Rob. Right on, man. We'll Have a good, uh, good day. Cheers. Yep. Bye. You like chicken? No, no. You like duck? No, no. You like turkey? Yes, yes. Turkey man, turkey man. On the turkey street. Turkey man, turkey man. Now is he your house? I love mashed potatoes. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com.